welcome to To Grow Good, a podcast of conversion stories, to share encounters with the living God, to bear good fruit, a place where others can meet or be inspired to meet God. So get cozy, lean in, and listen close. Miracles are at work, and He wants to meet you too. My name is Rachel Smith, and I'm your host. Now let's start growing some good. Hello, friends, and happy Tuesday. Before we jump into this week's episode, I just wanted to start off by thanking you guys so much for all your support and your prayers, all the ways you've been reaching out to me, whether it's been over email or over on Instagram. I know I interact with a lot of you over on Instagram at to grow good on a daily basis. So if you're not over there yet, please come follow me. I'd love to uh, chat with you. Listen to how Scripture Seeds has been impacting you. I love hearing um, all the feedback. You guys, it's so encouraging. It seems like you guys are really loving me sharing my heart with you all. And I just I just love it. Um, it's so fun and amazing to watch how the Lord is working through me to touch others. Um, what a gift. That's all I could ask for. And I wanted to give a quick shout out. Um, a couple people have asked how they can support or help out the ministry. So really quick, if you haven't already, can you hit subscribe on the app that you're listening to this from? That helps. The more subscribers, the more listeners, it's more legitimizing for the show in Apple or Spotify, um, whatever it is that you're listening on. And it actually will suggest the podcast to others based on its following and listeners. So if you could subscribe, share it with other people, that is so helpful. The other way is reviews. So reviews, especially on Apple and um, iTunes, Apple podcast app, um, They're extremely important for, again, recommending the show, helping it to get to more ears or people that may be seeking this kind of content. So I did want to give a shout out to Marzipan Sweets, who left us a review this week. Um, And it's so beautiful. It says, joy-filled podcast. The joy of the Lord's presence is felt by this podcast and the story shared. The evangelization of the shepherds in this podcast is wonderful. And that just made my whole week. Like if there is a way to gift a podcast or something, or like it's like receiving a bouquet of flowers from someone or something, it's just such a joy to find a new review waiting for you, especially about scripture seeds or about maybe a specific episode that really touched you. I I love to hear it. So please leave a review if you haven't already, especially if you're a regular listener, that would be amazing. And then lastly on YouTube, it's been growing. Thank you guys so much for your prayers, for your support, for liking, subscribing, watching some of the videos. Um, It's it's hugely helpful to get this thing off the ground. And you guys are in it with me, especially these listeners that have been listening from the beginning. It's so amazing to watch the Lord grow this little ministry. So please keep up the prayers, keep subscribing and sharing with others. Um, Thank you. Now let's get into this week's episode. This week, I am so excited to bring you the amazing conversion story of Leah Michael. But first, a message from today's episode sponsor, Catholic Match. 
Are you feeling called to marriage but struggling to meet others who are striving for sainthood? Well, my friends, there is a solution for you. Welcome to Catholic Match, the largest faith-focused dating app designed for single Catholics. Unlike other dating sites, Catholic Match primarily strives to help singles connect for the purpose of sacramental marriage through direct message, video chat, and more. And not only that, it also provides a place to make new friends in the faith because, let's be honest, these days it's harder than ever to cultivate intimate Catholic community. Create your Catholic love story. Visit catholicmatch.com slash good to create your free Catholic Match account and start meeting fellow-minded Catholics today. Leah runs an Instagram account called Life As Leah Knows where she shares the truths of the Catholic faith and helps to um, set the record straight on a lot of misconceptions that are out there about what the Catholic Church believes and teaches. Um, Leah also has had quite the incredible journey to this point, uh, to the Catholic faith. She actually grew up Protestant um, and then had an extreme kind of falling away from any faith at all. She kind of became more of a self-proclaimed agnostic, and she actually really hated anything to do with Christianity or especially the Catholic faith. Um, it wasn't until a series of life events happened that got Leah pondering things at a deeper level, um, and eventually led her into back into Protestantism and then back into the Catholic faith. And so I really, there's so much goodness in here. so much richness. Leah knows so much about the faith. So I just cannot wait to share this conversation with you today. So without any other delay, here is Leah. Leah, hello. Welcome to the show. Hi there. So glad that you are here with us today. Um, can you start us out by sharing just who you are and a little bit about what you, it is that you do now? Yeah. So <laughs> I always, this is so funny. Anytime I'm asked to introduce myself, because I don't feel like I have this great resume, if you will, <laughs> of explaining exactly who I am. But I guess I'll just, I'll start with, I, so I run a social media platform, I guess is the way to describe it. It's um, mainly based on Instagram uh, called Life as Leah Knows, which is like a faith-based kind of platform that I started back in 2018, actually, I believe it was. And it was one of those things that I was at a point in my life in 2018 when it launched that I was sort of at a crossroads and I was a relatively new convert to the faith. So I'd only been in the Catholic church for about two years at that point. I knew no other Catholics and I kind of just needed and wanted an outlet to talk about it. And I kind of started it anonymously um, and started talking more. And I kind of make the joke, you know, I started writing and people started reading it <laughs> and it kind of developed into this really awesome community and kind of led me to where I am and where I think you found me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where I really talk a lot about my faith and conversion kind of apologetic-y, but not too much. Um, but I talk a lot about my past experiences and my past perceptions of the church, um, which I say is always um, one of, it's just one of the biggest misconceptions is just um, correcting narratives about the church all the time. So I focus a lot on all of that there. And yeah, so that is just a little background of who I am and kind of what I do. Not a 
speaker or an author or anything like that. Just kind of, I, I run a social media and I talk a lot about being Catholic. Yes. And it's, it's amazing. Everyone should go check it out because yeah, you just spread a lot of truth. I think that's what it is. And in such a great, compelling and engaging way. And yeah, we were just talking before and I just really, it's funny how the Holy Spirit works through the podcast for me because I'll find someone and notice them and be like, I should ask them. And then, you know, I don't always ask that second. And, but luckily the Holy Spirit's got my back because then like a couple months will go by or a couple weeks will go by. And all of a sudden I'll notice that same person again by chance, right? By chance. And it's like, hello, you need to ask her. So I'm really glad that we made this work. Um, I cannot wait to just hear your story because I've read a lot of those posts and been really just touched by them and felt um, like I just wanted to talk to you about how it is that you came to know all these truths and your own story um, of how you came to know the Lord. And so, yeah, on that note, can we go back to maybe the beginning? If you could just share maybe how you grew up um, and if there was a moment that you can remember where you realized that God was real. (laughs) Yeah. So, oh wow, this is so interesting. Okay, so I'll start from sort of the beginning. So I grew up in a Protestant non-denominational household. Um, Pretty much like 95% of my family is all Protestant, um, evangelical, Um, non-denominational for the most part. I think there's a few different denominations in there, but for the most part, we were never super denomination specific. Um, I grew up with a family that was incredibly involved in the church. Um, You know, we went to uh, church every single Sunday. My dad was involved in men's ministry. My mom was involved in the women's ministry. Together, they ran Bible studies and everything. I was the kid in all the kids' choir plays for everything. (laughs) Um, My dad played Jesus in all the plays. So we were very, very involved in the church, and that's how um, we grew up. Um, Pretty... mm, I don't want to say strict because I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but definitely heavily involved. And as time went on, uh, I was about 11 or 12, I believe it was when my parents actually ended up divorcing. And that was kind of obviously a huge turning point. Um, particularly at that age. I mean, that's a turning point for most everyone when you start heading into your teen years and you kind of add on to that, um, just, the trauma of a family change and a family dynamic change. And it was kind of at that point, uh, my world was rocked as well as my understanding of faith in general. Um, I kind of took this very stereotypical route of a teenager. (laughs) I rejected church and I rejected faith, um, which makes sense because that's when you start questioning things, right? Where you start um, developing those higher reasoning skills, right? And you start really questioning the things that your parents have told you and the things that you've always been told to be true and you kind of take for granted and you need to figure it out for yourself. Add on top of that, the trauma of parents divorcing and it was just the recipe of no, thank you. <laughs> so it, so it was really during my teen years that I truly became a self-proclaimed agnostic. Uh, that stayed true up until early college. Uh, during that time, I, yeah, I rejected... I mean, I was more than uh, like apathetic. I was actively rejecting Christianity for the, um, and everything having to do with it. I didn't, I didn't find it reasonable. I didn't 
Um, I thought it was just this emotional ploy to make people feel better. Clearly it's kind of one of those things. Like if there is a God in this world, he surely doesn't care about me. So why on earth would I care anyway? And I kind of was to the point where I was, it was, yeah, maybe there's this, maybe there is some kind of God in the sky, but I'm not overly concerned. Like I wasn't an atheist to where I knew for sure and was positive there was nothing. Mm. I just, honestly, I was so wrapped up in my own self. You know, I partied hard. (laughs) Um, I was drinking young. I was having lots of boyfriends, everything, you name it. I always say I either did it or was in the same room as it. That was my life. Um, And it continued all the way through college or the first cup, the first year or so of college, I should say. And then when I got to college, I went to a pretty, how do I say, I hate using the word liberal because there's the, that, that gets wrapped up in things, but in non, non-religious college, yeah. <laughs> how about that, we'll call it that, um, that kind of, for me, started solidifying a lot of my kind of teenage doubts. You know, I'd kind of put all the stuff on the back burner and was like, I'll worry about it later. I don't care. I just don't like Christianity. But then when I was in college, now I had like true deductive reasons, right, in my opinion, of why I rejected Christianity. Mm-hmm. It finally to me was kind of like lifting the blinds of stuff I'd never been open to before, which again is typical going into college, right? You start experiencing and learning things that you've never thought of before like oh my parents never told me about that (laughs) they never used the word social construct when talking about belief systems and so it actually kind of further entrenched me a little bit into those agnostic ideologies and I felt more validated in them and that remained true um, until I met a guy (laughs) uh, who is now my husband a little spoiler to that story but I met him on a trip and study abroad and he happened to be Catholic. And I remember on this trip, you know, when you first meet someone, you're not going into like deep theology, at, at least <laughs> not for an agnostic. You don't even, you don't even think about it really. And it kind of got brought up in a conversation that he was Catholic. And I was like, Hmm. Okay. Well, I've never, I don't, I guess I've met one of those before. <laughs> I've heard of them. Uh, But, you know, I've also met people who kind of, I hate to say like, quote unquote, Catholic, because they don't really practice. Like, I think I had a boyfriend in high school who was technically Catholic, but I mean, he never went to mass or anything. I never saw him. I never, he never mentioned it outside of just saying he was Catholic. Mm. I was kind of crossing my fingers. He was one of those. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I was hoping. I was hoping he was just one of those that I didn't really have to worry about it with. Um, and, you know, we just hit it off. And so we started talking and then, you know, as time goes on, things become more serious. Right. And then you start having to be like, oh no, I kind of have to start like figuring this out. <laughs> I have to start figuring out where I stand on things. Um, and I ended up kind of having a reversion back to my Protestant faith, um, back to Christianity. I, I, and my husband, Andy, that's his name, um, kind of brought that out in me because I was realizing I needed to, to just figure all this out. Because if we were going to have a future together, and I realized that I had to know one way or another. And so it was through that I reverted back to my Protestant faith. And I ascribe to what I now describe as Christian relativism is really what I describe it, where all that mattered 
was that they, that someone had a relationship with Jesus and I had a relationship with Jesus. Everything else is just fluff and bells and whistles. Who cares? So dating a Catholic was no longer a problem because I did believe he had a relationship with Jesus and that was fine. So I'm like, I kind of cover my basis, right? I don't really have to change anything. I don't really have to do anything different. I can still have a Catholic boyfriend and it still be consistent with my beliefs. And, you know, we can just, it'll be all hunky-dory and we're fine from that point forward. And it remained that way. Um, we were together for about three years. And uh, the first couple years as I was kind of becoming, I don't say more Christian, <laughs> more, more convicted in my, uh, my beliefs. And I became more anti-Catholic, truthfully. It became, you know, where we started having more discussions and you start kind of seeing where we differed in our understanding of things. And um, I would push his buttons all the time, <laughs> trying to egg him on to, you know, don't you just do whatever the Pope says? You know, if he told you to jump off a bridge, I'm sure you would kind of things. And I refused to go to mass with him, like straight up refused. I wasn't going to go. Um, I didn't go for two years and he invited me every week and he still showed up um, to my extreme frustration. I was like, why does this man keep going? <laughs> like, I always thought, well, if you're, you know, if you're going to go to mass, why can't you come to my service? Like, I was so frustrated by that. I didn't understand. To me, they were the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't make that connection that they were different. And I didn't, I didn't have a respect that they were different. Truthfully, I thought I'm like, okay, you know, I, I can put up with this, but I don't know if I can put up with that. And that's how it remained for the first, uh, yeah, for the first couple of years. And then it was around, um, well, we got engaged. This doesn't sound like it was leading to an engagement, but it did. <laughs> because we deeply loved each other. Besides all of that, and besides yeah. all my misgivings with Catholicism, I, I knew how, I knew Christ in him without even truly realizing how deeply Christ was within him, mm. if that makes any sense. I was content with, with his faith because I was so content with him. And since his faith was such a part of him, I was okay with it. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was such a part of him. And so I ended up kind of towards the end, um, like towards the end of our relationship going into engagement, I started to kind of ease up on a lot of my, I wasn't as militantly against Catholicism. I started to kind of soften to the fact that it's important to him. And so it's important to me. Mm -hmm. um, even if I still just as much disagreed, I just wasn't as um, upfront in bashing it as I was previously. So, so we ended up getting engaged um, under the entire pretense that I was never over my dead body would ever be Catholic. I love you and I love that you're Catholic and that's great. Um, and I think in the back of my mind, I just always secretly hope like if I just loved him long enough, he'd one day leave the church and, and this can all be kind of over with, but I'll just leave it at this for now. It's fine. And so we, so, and that's how we did, we did all of the premarital prep and everything with that full understanding that um, I would forever be Protestant and he forever would be Catholic. Um, and it was after we'd done all that, like, and everything set in stone, we got all the paperwork in and I'll, I'll never forget it. It was a night we went, 
we went, it was a new, a newcomer's dinner party at the church that we attended, the Catholic church that we attended. Because at this point I was going to mass with him, um, not every week, but you know, every once in a while I would go with him. And he begged me to go to this thing. And I was like, no, 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 no. I remember, I, I still remember I put up such a fight and I said, I want five minutes tops and then we're leaving. And he was like, okay, fine, five minutes and we'll leave. And we go there. And I remember we, I was in a conversation. Uh, we started talking with some people there. And first of all, I always make this joke. I walk in and there's like a full on bar. And I was like, what church event is this? <laughs> I did not grow up with church events like that. And I, and I was like, oh, well, maybe this could be a little more fun than I thought it was going to be. So I'll stay and have a drink. That's fine. And so I was standing there and drinking and I'm like, okay, not heavily drinking, by the way, I had a drink. <laughs> and then um, we start talking with some of the parishioners there. And as we're just having a casual conversation, nothing about faith or religion, it gets, they, one of them makes a joke about growing up Protestant. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I didn't expect that. And I actually like laughed at the joke because I thought it was so dead on. And then it turned into a conversation about how he was a convert. And then it turned into a conversation with everyone in this group that I was with that happened to all be recent converts um, from Protestant denominations. And I was like, so it sparked all this conversation. And it was the first time for me that I had felt comfortable talking about the Catholic church and all my misgivings in a way in, with people who I felt got it as much as my fiance at the time wanted and tried to listen. He just didn't, he didn't get it in the same way. Um, Cause he just had different experiences growing up, kind of a different faith culture growing up. And to talk to people who were Protestant and now Catholic, I'd never met anyone like that. Like, I didn't know that existed. <laughs> I thought everyone just leaves the Catholic church. Who's coming into it? Um, and so for me, I was like fascinated. Like these people fascinated me because they seemed to understand my Protestant beliefs in a way my husband couldn't. And yet they still chose to be Catholic. I was like, you can't, that doesn't work. You can't understand what it means to be Protestant and not be Protestant. <laughs> My husband just doesn't get it, but you get it. So I'm confused. And so I left there. I talked with them for hours, by the way. Like we were one of the last people there because I wouldn't stop talking with them after my five minutes that we were supposed to be there. Mm. And they also introduced me as, as, as good Catholics should introduce me to the RCA director when I was there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she was super nice. And I was like, uh, she of course invited me if I wanted to come. And I originally was just like, you know, thanks, but no thanks. And I sat on it a little bit more. And it was at that point, it just was eating at me. It was eating at me. I had to figure out what they'd gotten wrong. What did these Protestants, what did they miss? And I need to find out what they missed. And so I, that's when I met with the RCIA director. Um, I set up a, <laughs> like a secret meeting. I didn't tell my fiance. I didn't tell anyone because I didn't want anyone to have expectations. I didn't want this. Any, I didn't want anyone to think I was converting that like, oh, no, that's not happening. This is more just my personal research. <laughs> right, right. You're just, you're just making sure, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to make sure, I want to make this crystal clear. That I'm not coming here because I want to convert. But I met with him. And then, you know, once you meet someone, you feel more comfortable showing up to an RCA group 
And I was actually kind of late to the group um, because they'd already been meeting for a couple months before. But so then I started going and kind of long story short in that is I started learning and I learned a lot and I still credit uh, my sponsor. So they picked the sponsor for me. And I will just say it is by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit that led them to choose the sponsor they did for me, because I fully believe not that I couldn't ended up, I may have ended up at the church through a different door at another time, but to enter through that door at that time had to have been the right sponsor. And she was it. She to this day is like one of the most brilliant um, women (laughs) I've like ever met. I still say this. And her way of being able to articulate the faith to me, um, it, well outside of just an RCIA class. And that was the thing too. RCIA does a lot, but it doesn't do everything. And she was that piece for me uh, and gave me every book I could ever think of that I could ever want. Uh, and it was amazing. And so that for me, it was just months of learning and questioning. And I was stubborn and I talked a lot and I got my questions answered and I realized all the misconceptions that I truly had. And it was at that point, I ended up telling my fiance that I wanted to join the church. (laughs) And I told him I was going to RCA and he kind of started going with me. And I ended up getting confirmed about two months before we got married uh, to everyone's surprise. We had to like redo all the paperwork and everything because, you know, over my dead body apparently didn't last very long. (laughs) Oh my gosh, this is so crazy. So that's... I know that's kind of a little all over the place because there's so many different journeys throughout my life. Yeah. I've been on so many different ends of the spectrum from like militant, you know, uh, hating the Catholic church, Protestant to agnostic who just believes it's all wishy-washy emotional Mm -hmm. to um, a little more um, friendly to the Catholic faith, but still believe they're wrong. So, I mean, I've been on a bunch of different spectrums, um, I guess, and even to, um, and not even really knowing anything about the faith. Because yeah. that's the thing to, like, growing up, it's hard to explain. The Catholic Church was not even part of a discussion, ever. Mm-hmm. Like, it didn't exist in my world. Like, I didn't know who the Pope was, nor did I care. <laughs> he made no difference in my life, um, in our church, and anything. And so it's interesting um, like all these like big Catholic names and saints that I've learned now that I'm longer than I'm Catholic that are such these staples in like, like a real different Catholic. world. Yeah, yeah. I feel, I feel the same way. I was like, how is all of this like here? I feel like it's the most best kept secret that like this whole, like all this <laughs> beauty and depth and like richness and like truth. It's just I love I that. Know. It is the yeah. best secret. It's actually yeah, but like in a good and bad way. I don't know. Sometimes it's like, why doesn't everyone know this? And the other times it's like, <laughs> it's the best kept, most like, well-known secret. Yeah, I feel like the Holy Spirit like finds you and like brings you in. They're like, hey, come mm-hmm. over here. Like, check out all this greatness over here. But do you believe in the power of conversion stories? Has this show moved you in some way? Join the Branches of the Vine community of supporters. You will be making this show happen and you'll be helping it grow and expand into new avenues to reach even more souls. Visit togrowgood.com slash support to join for as little as $3 a month. This link is also a live link in today's episode description 
If you just scroll down, you'll be able to click right there to join us. As a gift back to you, you will gain access to an underground bonus podcast. That's right, a collection of monthly episodes on a series of different topics that stir my heart, in addition to behind-the-scenes updates on where he's leading this ministry and more. You are the light of the world. Thank you so much for supporting me in this mission and stepping out on the water to wherever he calls me next. Let's see where this goes. But oh my gosh. Okay. I have a couple follow-up questions because that yes. was amazing. But so you said that you went from this kind of ag- agnostic to back to Christian with meeting this boy, of course. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what was it that kind of, can you walk us through like your thought process in coming to know Jesus? I mean, were yeah. you at that point, did you have a relationship with Jesus or were you just kind of like, okay, if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, that's fine. Or did you like personally start to pray and that kind of stuff at that time? Yeah. So this is interesting because hindsight's twenty twenty, right? I, looking back, I, Jesus was always with me. And this is always like the hard thing that I've, I've have to come and I've always kind of had to reflect upon like through my life. And even when I was a kid, like, did I really have a relationship with him? Mm. If I did, then why did I leave him? You know what I'm saying? Um, or was it not genuine? And so for me, I, I, he was with me. I don't think I really knew it in the way that I know it now. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see his presence in my life back then. And the fact that where he was leading me and how he was leading me in my life, did I have like a deep spiritual life, like internal spiritual life? No, I didn't. It was more of, um, uh, I don't want to say it was like an intellectual thing. Cause it was more than that because I did feel something was missing. And I think that happens with a lot of us, right. That we, we recognize that missing piece. Um, and and we're looking for that. And we know, and I started to understand that Christ has always been with me. I had a lot of healing from my divorce and things like that, where, where I thought he didn't had abandoned me. He hadn't, but there was still a lot of wounds to work through that. I think being able to recognize him and that intimacy in the present, it's, it really wasn't until uh, honestly, until after my conversion, that my, my relationship with Christ was really solidified and transformed into a much deeper spiritual communion. And it was, and honestly, I give it credit to my ability to understand him deeper and understand how to commune with him and how to pray. And that's the thing is I never really, and I credit this a lot to prayer because I never really knew how to pray. That's not something like they teach you, generally speaking, at least I never, you pray by closing your eyes, putting your hands together and saying, dear Jesus, and then whatever you want to say after that, um, which is great, but there's also that developing of the interior life didn't really exist. And so I think that's also where a lot of my doubts came from is because I didn't, I didn't have that interior life that I, sh- that I should have cultivated. So it wasn't until after the church, after I joined the church that I actually felt not only was he in my life as he's always been, but I could, I could sense him in that present moment too. And I would say the w- huge moment that I recognized that for the first time 
um, in a really deeply profound way. I, I know there's other times too, but it was actually a couple, it's not that long ago. Um, truthfully, it was a few years ago at Lent. Uh, I had done for my 40 days, I, I kind of went on a mini spiritual retreat, but in my daily life, I you know went to daily mass as much as I could. I went to adoration chapel every day after work and I get home late. I sacrificed time. My husband kind of agreed that, you know, we could do this and, you know, I don't have kids, anyone listening. It was just a time in my life I could do this. And I, and I went every day and I brought actually, um, the, uh, discernment of spirits book with the spiritual exercises by St. Ignatius. And I read it every day in chapel. And that was important to me. I read scripture and I read about the Ignatian, um, uh, ways to pray with scripture as well. And I think I learned how to pray during that Lent. And I learned how to pray in the presence with Christ. And I remember that overwhelming feeling of, wow, I knew this was true, but this is, but now I know it's true. And I know he's here. And that was huge for me because I don't, I, I don't think I had quite experienced that before. And even as I always look back and I'm like, oh, he was with me there. He's with me there. It's actually one of my, I say, spiritual wounds that I have is my skepticism. I struggle even when he makes himself pretty blatantly clear to me. I still find ways to doubt it. Um, I I think that it's a blessing and a curse sometimes to want to be kind of intellectualize the faith because it's good for defending the faith um, because it is true. And I believe it always will lead you to the Catholic church, but it can be a crutch in spirituality sometimes. And that's something I always continually have to work through is my faith and trust. And, you know, when he reveals himself, stop questioning that. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Stop trying to explain it away. Um, And, and to trust that. So I'd say for me, and I hate to say it because I feel like people are like, you're supposed to have these moments like a long time ago. But for me, that in that chapel during Lent a few years ago was really the first time I think my, my interior life and my spirituality, my communion with Christ was something, was something deep and something powerful in a way that I had never experienced before. Even though I know he's been with me this whole time, yeah. I just never recognized it in the same That's way. Beautiful though. I love how you explain that. And I, yeah, so much of what you said, I, I resonate with a lot. Um, but then my other, my other follow-up question was, yeah. so when you are talking, you know, talking to these Protestants that were converts to the Catholic faith yeah. and going through RCIA, you mentioned that you know, you started to realize these misconceptions that you had. Do you mind just walking through like kind of what that was like and what (laughs) exactly you mean by those misconceptions? Like what was it that you came to know that you had previously held, especially for someone that maybe is in that boat right now and is listening and curious and maybe you're that Protestant that's with the drink across the table (laughs) talking about what it is that you saw that they maybe haven't yet to see. Yeah, I would say I had, I had the stereotypical, um, uh, misconceptions or issues with the Catholic church. Um, you know, the papacy, Mary confession, you know, kind of those big staple ones. And for me, this is interesting because even from that Protestant perspective, I was agnostic in my team. And I think even though I would kind of reverted back to Protestant, 
I think I still had that skept- a little bit of agnostic skepticism still there, which also explains why my relationship with Christ was sometimes a struggle to see because I was still missing some pieces, I think, even though I, I knew it was missing, but they weren't all together at that point. So some of the things that I struggled with particularly was Mary and uh, she was huge. I was like, what's up with all the statues? <laughs> This is ridiculous. I did not like going to mass. I will tell you, I hated going to mass. I hated listening to the rosary. I thought everything, all my experiences, even with Andy uh, going to mass and all these different things with his family, I thought they all proved everything that I hated, which was I thought it was ritualistic. I thought there was no relationship with Christ anywhere. I thought you all just do what the Pope says and you walk around like robots. I literally thought that all homilies were pre-written like by the Vatican and they had to go and just say them at at the pulpit. Okay. That's like what I thought, (laughs) which is not true. If you're listening to this and I'm not making fun of you, if you do think that, because I literally (laughs) did think that because they talk, because when Catholics, we talk about how mass is the same everywhere. Well, I interpreted that and took that as that means the Pope is just telling every priest what to say verbatim every Sunday. Because I was like, well, if it's the same everywhere, mm-hmm. this seems robotic. And I thought in that there's no room for the Holy Spirit. Where's the room for the Holy Spirit if, if they're telling you what to do? It was hard for me to separate the human priest. I had issues with the priesthood in general. I had issues with the authority that the church claimed to have and the, authority, the, um, the, the authoritarian structures that are in place, um, even though they make complete sense. Um, for a universal church, I still, I I struggled with it. And I struggled with this idea to get into this little box. And I'm going to tell this dude my deepest, darkest secrets from the last 24 or five years of my life. Like, really? And I just talked about how my teen years in college are not exactly squeaky. (laughs) I was like, I'm not in the mood to tell the priest who I actually respected. I respected our priest at our parish a lot. And so I have to go to this guy that I respect um, respect immensely and have to tell him all this? You're nuts. And they're like, well, it's not him, it's Jesus. And I'm like, no, it's definitely him. <laughs> so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so that was really big for me. And uh, and just the, the whole, uh, the authority of the church in general, which kind of goes to sola scriptura, which for those who don't know, is the idea of scripture alone that came out of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, That and sola fide, which is faith alone. Those were two things that I held on to very tightly. Um, They were theologies that I really ascribed to and I understood and they made sense to me. And um, I thought the Catholic Church undermined all of that. So I reconciled those and I reconciled those through a lot of different avenues. And I highly recommend if you're one of those struggling to, to, uh, to work through those yourself, Scott Hahn is your, is your, is your man to go to. <laughs> uh, there's so much to it and so much to break down on it. Uh, I could, I could talk forever just forever about, about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could. Cause there's so many different angles to approach it from mm-hmm. and every angle you approach it from can resonate with people differently. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, a huge thing was that scripture doesn't actually say it's its own authority, which is also an ironic thing to self-proclaim your own, uh, own authority. Right. <laughs> like, you're getting, you're like, getting I, the idea of that outside of 
that yes yeah Some, something <laughs> has to give it authority right for it to have it someone has to ascribe that to it um I mean I could write a book and say this is the word of God technically um but that means nothing unless something is telling some some outside thing is giving it the authority that that's true mm-hmm. um whatever that is and so that was huge and um but it, the thing is it doesn't even say it to begin with so I said, even if it does say it, you still have to give authority. But the truth is, it, it doesn't even try to self-proclaim it as that, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense. So it started kind of bursting a bubble of, um, oh my gosh, what do you mean there can be more about faith than just the Bible? That was a, that was a huge moment for me because it opened me up to conversation, larger conversations. It opened me up to maybe talking about Mary. Um, but Mary and I, we had a, we had a longer journey than that. (laughs) How did you get over this? I, Mary is one. We've, we've just always had a little bit of a rocky road. If I'm being honest. Um, I love her very much now. Uh, do I think that I could always kind of increase my, uh, relation, my, my devotion to her in some way. And I, I use that word lightly that always freaks Protestants out saying a devotion to Mary, because it sounds like a worshiping of her. And so I, I'm always careful in my verbiage when I talk about her, because I know it, it can be kind of like triggering, um, which I get. Mm-hmm. So for me and her, I, I think I read like every book on Mary you can think of. I read so many. And the truth is I understood like all these Catholic arguments for her. I really did. Like I understood her as, um, as the new Eve. Uh, I understand her as the new Ark of the Covenant. Like I was like, okay, those make sense. Those make sense. But I fought my RCIA director on them every time. Every time I came up with a new understanding of her, I came to him and I'm like, but this and this and this and this and this and this. <laughs> and it came to a point where he even said, he was like, I mean, you understand, like you understand intellectually the arguments for her. <laughs> There's yeah. nothing else for me to, to like tell you about her uh, and how the church conceptualizes her. Yeah. Um, it's really up to you to decide if it's true. And, and one of the things too, is it um, while we assent to the church's understanding of Mary, it doesn't mean you have to pray the rosary every day. Like that's not part of our response part of the responsibility of the faithful. Um, and so I kind of just rested in that and that I wasn't going to try and force that, but I was open to it and I sent it to the church and, um, just kind of over time prayed. I ended up doing a Marian consecration last year, a Marian consecration on, um, our feast of the lady of the rosary, uh, because the rosary was really big and bringing my relationship closer to Mary, um, and trusting her through that. Takes it takes time. time and and also to let the Holy Spirit lead it because yeah. exactly like what you're saying with with um all the resources I feel like he'll give you what you need that's going to speak to your heart better yep. than sometimes what one person in one sitting can do like you wish that you could just pick up everything that you know and like plop it into someone's head but like you can't they have to go through their own journey with it question what they need to question ask the questions when they need to ask them you know so yeah, so that's that's a huge part of it too. I wanted to ask quickly on confession. How did you get over that hurdle? Um, <laughs> so, or who helped you? I guess was there like a resource or something that that really helped that come into place for you? Or um, I'm trying to think of a resource. Now, I will say I read Scott Hahn's book on confession. Oh, I can't remember the Ooh, name. Yeah, of it. I can link that. No. 
but um if you look up scott hahn like confession or reconciliation you okay. should find his it, that was really big um and my sponsor to, for me i mean it was it was multifaceted because it also had to do with my wounds and what i was going to have to confess and i was like i i don't want to do that so it wasn't just like an intellectual thing it was a personal wound thing right i think sometimes we're not as honest with ourselves about why we struggle with certain things and if I'm being honest, it wasn't just an intellectual thing. It was a personal thing. It was going to be very hard to do. And, and I struggle just from my own personal wounds with, with the idea of authority and also confessing to men. I don't do well with it. I don't like the concept of it. And it made it that much harder. And I know lots of women, um, and this is kind of a particular thing with women who have struggles with men, uh, the idea of confessing to a man in a booth that's just like a human aspect of wounds that's hard to deal with. Mm -hmm. Even if you like theologically understand the purpose of confession and you agree with it, living it out is a whole different ball game, right? It's easy in the lecture hall. It's hard to live it out. So it was a combination for me. And my sponsor was huge in that human aspect. I mean, I broke down. I, I questioned if I was going to be able to, to come into the church because I knew that was a, a quote unquote requirement, right? I had to go to my first confession. And if there was ever a point during my entire RCA journey where I was a, like, I was questioning if I was going to walk away, it was when I was going to have to show up for confession. Uh, I was like, do I, re do I really believe this church to be true? Because uh, trust me, if I didn't, it took every ounce of my understanding of how true I believe the church to be to to get me to walk into that confessional. That's the only way. And I relied on that. And I held on to that tighter than I ever have. And she went with me to make sure I followed through with it. <laughs> and she did. Well, and just as a support, and I had to go first because I knew I'd leave if I wasn't first. Uh, and so I read a lot of Scott Haunt for the understanding piece. And then the second piece was just having a support system mm -hmm. that helped me take it across the finish line. Yeah. And then to hear that absolution, I mean, did it, yeah. and, and to get, say it out loud, there is some power to that. I think it's power over your sin of like saying it out loud and being like, not today, Satan, like, bye-bye. Yes. <laughs> oh, I remember, oh, I was such a mess. I'm shocked he even heard what I said. <laughs> I was bawling so hard. I, and I remember, and this is something that's important to for those who may be struggling with this. I remember people telling me in RCA, well-intended, just saying things, you're going to feel so much better afterwards. The weight will be lifted and you're just going to feel like a million bucks. I'll tell you, I did not. I did not feel like a million bucks. I was more like just, hallelujah, this is over. Do I have to ever go again? I mean, it's, that's, that's the honest truth of it. I, because it was that difficult. And the whole idea and the concept of going was that difficult for me from a personal wounds perspective again. And that's okay too. It doesn't diminish the graces that are bestowed from the sacrament. They're still there. And what's funny is you can see those graces well after the fact. Again, hindsight is always twenty twenty, though, right? So I didn't see it. I didn't feel it at the time. I didn't even, you could ask me a month afterwards and I would, I would have told you how much I despised every minute of it. But when you start looking back through patterns through your life, you can see it. You can see the sacraments at work. 
And even if you don't feel it in the moment, I think we, we confuse feeling with spirituality so often. Uh, that's a huge issue I find in the modern church, um, particularly because we now live in a day and age where feeling good is kind of everything. We also kind of live cushy lives. <laughs> uh, you know, you go to church and it's, and it, and it's air conditioned and it's heated, at least here in America um, or in the West, I should say. And it's just, I, I think that confusion is huge and does a huge detriment to those trying to explore and find their faith. Uh, and that being able to separate the two is big doesn't make it any less true, even if you don't feel it sometimes or a lot of the time. Yeah, I love what you said about looking back at your life and the patterns long term, mm-hmm. what you're seeing, because I found the same thing with confession is that it really does fight sin. Like mm-hmm. literally, like you find it, the grace is not to commit the same sin again, I've found to be true. Yeah. Like it's crazy and it's, it's real. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but if you just like give it all to Christ in the, in confession and crazy things happen, your life changes. Yeah. I mean, like you were saying over the long term, but, and sometimes it can take many, many times of confessing the same sin, but that's like, you're like fighting. There's a spiritual battle going on right there. Like you are growing in, in Christ and the graces are there for you to overcome it. And I just love to think about that when I think about confession as like a battle. It's like really a battlefield, which is cool. (laughs) No, it is. And it's one of those, it doesn't make it any easier. Mm -hmm. And I also think the, when you see it over long term, even if you're confessing the same sin over and over again, which honestly, I think that's most people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think most people are confessing the same ones over and over again. We have our vices. The devil knows our weaknesses. We don't give that guy enough credit. We should. I wish we would give him more, um, more credit than that. Um, we dismiss him sometimes too easily and we have those, he knows how to poke at our wounds. Right. And sometimes that means trying to keep you from confession. And sometimes that is the wound itself. And that's something that I've had to work through because for me, I know that's what was for me. The wound itself was keeping me from even going. And that's, uh, you know, just a product of a broken world and something to work through. And as I've, and it sometimes takes a long time to see it. And it's sometimes hard to see all the fruits, but as I look, you know, when you look back over years too, it's kind of amazing because then I think that's what Jesus has seen the whole time. And I just never saw it. Uh, you you kind of get that bird's eye view for the first time. Wow. Wow. I have goosebumps. That's so good. Um, so my next question is, what yeah. have been some of your standout influences on your journey? I mean, you mostly said Scott Hahn. So Scott Hahn, Scott Hahn, Scott Hahn. Are there any others? He's amazing. Yes. So from now, my journey to conversion, Scott Hahn, because of just my Protestant, my primarily Protestant background, but I will also say um, Bishop Barron was big. And I also, I didn't really touch on it a lot here, uh, but my agnostic back, the, ch- the church reconciled my agnostic doubts too. Everything I just said when I was a teen that I doubted about the consistency of a God and if he's almighty God, why this, this, and this, those never, if I'm being honest, fully went away. And, but I just kind of shoved them away because I knew I needed something deeper. And uh, I believe, I did believe Jesus was real. Like in my heart, I believed he was real, but I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know how to reconcile my 
that missing piece and my intellectual head. Mm. The church did that for me. It brought it all together for me. And so as far as that part of my faith journey to um, like Aquinas, and even if you're not reading directly Aquinas, which not you have to be in the mood, first of all, to read directly Aquinas. <laughs> and you have to be someone that enjoys that. But even just concepts that are derived from him, which is pretty much every Catholic philosopher that's ever existed since him, <laughs> um, has probably taken pieces from Aquinas, is huge. And uh, Peter Kreeft, he's one that's really helped shape my faith journey um, G.K. Chesterton as well is really big. Uh, John Henry Newman is another great one I recommend. Uh, He talks about the development of um, Christian doctrine, and he was an Anglican who uh, converted to Catholicism, which is super interesting. So I recommend him as well. So there's a bunch of different influences. Those are some big ones. Uh, You have also just the general apologists that didn't actually... I wouldn't say played a huge role in my personal journey, but I will say also, I know they've played huge roles in others, uh, such as Trent Horn is a big apologist. Um, Jeff Cavan is a big, uh, in for like the Sola Scriptura. Um, he's like kind of the scripture ex- expert. If you're looking for that, uh, Ray Stevens is another convert ex, uh, pastor. I forget which denomination, but he was a Protestant pastor as well and converted. So those are just some that I recommend. <laughs> those are good those are good ones I can keep going but those are the main ones I would say I love it and the last question I hope to ask everyone who comes on at the end is can you share with us one scripture verse that is either speaking to you recently or that played a foundational role in your journey and why yeah okay so uh, I would say this has been a big one for me the last couple years uh, so second Timothy chapter one and verse seven which is For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather of power and love and self-control. I personally, that, that verse has played a huge role for me over the last few years in my faith and talking about my faith and continually the world that we live in that is just becoming increasingly anti-Catholic. And I say Catholic specifically in this because I think it's true. I that I love that sometimes I think the idea of being Christian, we only equate it to like meek and humble, which there's power in meekness and humility. And we forget that. And humility is not the same as shame. And I love that this verse kind of highlights that he's not, he is not one that we're supposed to be cowards. Okay. That's not to be ashamed in the corner. Okay. That's not what he's asking of us. Um, you can be a humble servant and a humble servant. There's huge power of that and having control over your life. He gave us that ability to control ourselves. He gave us the ability to love deeply. And that's powerful. I, I love everything about this verse. I think you could, uh, you could, I could talk for like an hour about just all the different implications that come with it. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's been, it's been more of a recent uh, favorite Bible verse, but the last few years, this has been huge for me. I love it. I love that so much. I think it's so relevant right now that that whole do not be afraid is just, it's like a battle cry, you know, like right now, I just feel like it's so true. There's never, I guess you were born for a time such as this, like 
And exactly. so just to not be afraid and to share your faith and see what fish you can catch because of it. And I just, I love that verse too. So thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And it looks thank different so for everyone, much. right? Yes, exactly. It's different for everyone. Thank you so much for coming on, Leah. This has been awesome. Your story is amazing as always. They always are. And thank you for just walking through your intellectual steps for each of us and sharing your your journey with the Lord and where he's led you in life. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was so fun. I love talking about this. All right. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for growing some good with us today. Visit us at togrowgood.com slash podcast to find links to everything we mentioned in today's conversation. If you enjoyed today's conversation, would you please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or on whatever app you're listening from? Reviews help podcasts to show up higher in search results so that more people can find these incredible stories of the Lord at work. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend, a family member, or a coworker who might enjoy the conversation as well. Find us on Instagram at to grow good. See you next week.